welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. I am Gary Howard. Hopefully you're all doing well with this country getting turned upside down with all the rioting and invading of the capital and everything. We've done this crazy world. I'm not going to go into that because it's not a pretty little podcast. It's about truck stops, murders, and true crime. And so, yes, my name is Gary Howard. I'm an OTR truck driver for Prima Express. Oh, Joliet, Illinois, and I do have to do a 10-hour break every day, so I'm going to talk about the truck stops I stay at and also a murder that happens around that. If that's what you like, awesome. Thank you for returning. If you're a return listener, thank you for giving me the opportunity if you're a new one. Today, and as always, before I get started with the story, as always, please go to Apple iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. It definitely helps. My podcast for some reason on iTunes, nothing else. But if you could rate and review on them, go ahead. But on iTunes, Apple iPod, rate, review, and subscribe. That way, subscribers know me and we could build this thing up. So, with further ado, the, this, today's episode brought me to Oak Grove, Kentucky. It's not too far from Fort Campbell Army Base, which we're where the story comes from well people from Fort Campbell Max Fuel Express Marathon on Fort Campbell Boulevard exit 86 and 24 I-24 in Oak Grove Kentucky as of right now I know oh, 25 minutes ago some spots is left open but this is a small truck stop there's only 20 spots there not too big just a little small mom and pop type truck stop but it has a well-known name Marathon I don't know if you're familiar with that or gas stations. But it's a small truck stop. There's other truck stops around there. So if you are a trucker and looking for a place to park, if that's not available, I think there's a Pilot and a Loves. Not too far from there. But not too bad of a truck stop. If you want food, I'm not going to go too far into if you're just traveling with a car and you find yourself at this truck stop. There's really nothing much to eat around it. I mean, that has a truck stop food inside that has fried chicken, which while getting into reviews, a lot of people seem to like. One per, well, one person seems to like the fried chicken, says it's not too bad. But a lot of people bitch about the parking. Not the parking, but m- mainly the fuel aisles, saying it's tight-fitting, not truck-friendly. I didn't see that issue when I was there, but then I did a few there. So there's a few, I mean, to the fuel, there's a Love's truck stop that has within 0.1 miles, which is across the street, that has their thing, a Denny's, that's at the Flying J, and of course the Flying J and the McDonald's, those are all within one mile. Now if you want to travel over one mile, you got Waffle House and Wendy's, those are 1.2 miles, but if you just want to walk, I guess... Go to Flying Jane Park or stay here and have some fried chicken. But make sure you get there at a Pacific time because they do close for the night. They're not a 24-hour service. So let's see what people think about this place. As the what first one is anonymous user. What kind of truck stop closes at 10? Like I said, and then the place is closed. Don't waste your time, and it's tight. Tight parking. 10:15. PM gas station is closed. That's the keyword gas station, not truck stop. It was a it was a trouble with RTS card, very tight pumps, then a bunch of Z's. I don't know what that means, but as for parking, I've already read all that. 
food, just chicken. Fuel Island is not truck friendly and most are closed. Chicken is okay, but not great. And I'm going to read this one. Restroom. They have Fuel Island is tight, like I said. Be careful. Place closes at midnight, so bring toilet paper and Walmart bags. I'm assuming he means Walmart bags so you can shit in your truck and toss it in the trash, which I've done a lot of things, but I've never. I pissed the models, was from, but shitting in your truck? I mean, come on, ma'am. If you have to go that bad and the place is closed, like I said, there's a Flying J and a Love's right, there's a Love's right across the street. But the shit in the bag and leave, that shit's just going to linger. Hopefully he had some good air freshener. But anyhow, further ado, let's get on to our crime. Which brings back, like I told you, um, the Fort Campbell. We're talking about Patrick and Rosemary Smith, both captains of the United States Army. So, the Smiths were both captains of the United States Army stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. They lived in a split-level home in Clarksville, Tennessee that they had purchased shortly after their assignment to the nearby base. Both were nurses when neither of them reported to their duty stations on the morning of 9 January 1987 and telephone calls to their home received no answer. Two people from the base went to their homes, observed broken glass in the rear door, and both cars still in the garage. A 911 was called and made to the police, arrived promptly and discovered the bodies of Patrick Smith lying face down on the bed in the master bedroom, facing 90 degrees counterclockwise from his sleeping position. And wrapped in the top sheet, he had been strangled, wrapped, he was, and wrapped in the top sheet. He had been strangled to death, apparently with a length of 880 cord, which I would like to have somebody message me or tweet me or email me. All information will be given at the end of what is 880 cord. I've heard of 550 cord, parachute cord, but never 880 cord. I've messaged my peeps on Facebook, called my battles from the Army. Nobody's gotten back with me. Only thing I got was Googled it, which I have Googled it, and um, nothing came up. Just the, five, the stuff that I mentioned. But no 880 cord, so anyhow, the bed was broken and tilted, indicating a violent struggle had taken place. His wife's new body was found on the floor. A scarf was tied around her neck and a small vase that had been inserted into the scarf. She died of strangulation. Both have massive hematomas of the neck. My Mrs. Smith's nightgown and buttons torn from it were found on the, in the room. Semen was apparent on the gown and a, and a comforter from the bed. Sperm was found in the vaginal vault. Of course, the house was ransacked and chest of drawers open, language, luggage, and clothes scattered about. In the master room, bedroom, in the master bedroom, the police found a piece of paper upon which was written a name of Ronnie Cothran, his address and telephone number. The handwriting was not being the handwriting of either Mr. or Mrs. Smith. So who is this Ronnie Cothran? Well, he was a person who um, did a lot of work around the house, cutting grass, and any kind of odd end jobs he, around the neighborhood, just not there. But he knew a lot of people. He did work for the local police department. He did help for the neighborhood. 
So that's how he gave him the number. Hey, if you need any work done, go ahead and give me a call. Gave him his name, addresses, where just where I live. So he for a while there he worked there, no problem. Everything was fine. So I guess he got the notion that I might have a little bit more money there than he, they were showing him that he, he a stash of money. So events I'm going to further further talk about in the future, but on that day, Brett Patterson was with them with Ronnie and by the way after once I start recording well I mean, I'm recording now duh <laughs> but if I say defendant I'm talking about Ronnie Cawthorn a lot of my notes I do have defendant on there so if I say defendant that's what I'm talking about so the defendant broke the door pane unlocked the door and entered the Smith's house they were after a large sum of money thought to be kept in the bedroom once inside Ronnie discovered that the Smiths were at home asleep. They weren't. He did. I guess he didn't plan on them being home. So they woke him. They woke them, pulled them out of bed. Patrick Smith tried to fly and fight him off, while Patterson made repeat attempts to subdue him by applying a sleeper hold, a wrestling hold designed to cause unconsciousness. Failing at this, Patterson strangled Mr. Smith with a large length of the mysterious 880 military cord investigators later recovered similar cord from brett and ronnie's residence where they searched mrs smith was strangled with a silk 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 scarf and into which a narrow vase was inserted to form a tourniquet and medical examiner found with a narrow vase um, found that the cartridge in her throat had been fractured, an uh, injury which would have resulted only from application of great force. Mrs. Smith was also raped from the evidence of the semen being inside of her. So they don't, of course, they they don't know that story which I just told you. They just know their handwritten letter, and that's pretty much what happened. But investigators really don't have nothing on them so investigators of these murders did not really focus on them at first they just know that mr cawthorn so i gave you information a little early but that's fine cawthorn and peterson will well the investigation of these murders did not focus on cawthorn and patterson until james phillips andrew telephoned the clarkville's police and asked to speak to an officer he had seen on tv news in a segment reporting on the double murder that call was made around 11 a.m monday morning on the 12th 1987 so about the, the murder happened on the 9th so that happened about three days if i could do my math right three days after it that after awakening from their arrival he went to so 3 a.m on friday the morning of the 9th of january that after being awakened by their arrival, he went back to sleep and neither heard nor saw anything relevant to the Smith's murder. So he don't know. They didn't say nothing about him. He just showed up. Andrew went to work at the base usually that day and saw Catherine again that night at the at the trailer. Later at Rock Vegas, a local water and hoe or bar or tavern, whatever you call it. It was until Saturday afternoon at the trailer when they started to get high, smoke some weed, that he began telling Andrew about his role in the Smith's murders. Andrew did not believe him until 
Mr. Collins, not Collins, Cawthorn, Ronnie, until Ronnie went to his truck and bought a box into the trailer containing credit cards, identification cards, and the names of Patrick and Rosemary Smith, clothing and other items of personal property taken and other property taken from the home. Cawthorn made several statements to the police. After, of course, after that, they went and questioned him really quick to try to figure out what was going on. So Cawthorn made several statements to the police, one which was recorded on tape, transcribed, and introduced to at trial when it happens. Although he admitted participating in a robbery of the Smith's house, he denied that he planned anything. He, he didn't plan anything. Nothing was planned, premeditated or he did not rape or murder anyone. He claimed that he had sexual relationships with Mrs. Smith twice before and the police contained before and that she invited him to come over to her house that Thursday evening. His statement to the police contained numerous contradictions and discrepancies. The statement he gave Andrew on Saturday afternoon while high on, mar you know, on weed, this is high on marijuana, more closely conceded to with proven events that any version that appears to on the record. So the what happened was the person who did call the police, his roommate, I'm sorry about the papers flopping all over the room. I said in my last episode, my second computer broke. So because this bouncy ass truck broke the screen, so I'm printing notes. This is how I'm doing it. So Andrew was the person. So the, the evidence the statements that he gave Andrew was more closer to what evidence said what really happened at the case and what he said sounded all kinds of crazy. So the test, let's talk about some evidence. Tests revealed the presence of PGMI type 1 serrations. The forensic sociology testified that the PGMI, PGM type 1 from the swab was consistent with Cawthorns as well as Rosemary Smith. So that is him. A shoe print was found on the back door that matched Patterson's shoe. In a statement that he gave police, he attempted kicking the back door once or twice, but said it would not open, so he obtained a hammer and broke the pane of glass nearest to the doorknob to gain entry. The cumulative evidence in this record established that the defendant and the Smiths had been acquainted for approximately about a year. For about a year, he's been working on their house, and like I said, a long word at the time of the murder, but he had performed some work at Patrick's Mercedes and perhaps some additional work at their home. Although he said in one of the statements that he had never, he has never been inside their home until the evening of 8th of January, 1987. So, of course, was in possession of their belongings as in jewelry and different cards and IDs. So why would he have that stuff, you know? So he robbed them, but the evidence showed that he there was rape presence and also the murder. But if he was there, that just that just don't make no sense. So he was just watching his partner do that and just hung around. So they quickly questioned and looked around for people that might have known him, which brought him to his girlfriend, Ronnie's girlfriend. She had no basis whatever to suspect him of capacity, capability of the Smith's murder until her sister called her on Monday or Tuesday and told, and told what she had heard on TV. She tuned in the 10 p.m. news and heard the report of the Cawthorn had been arrested, of course. 
She talked to her parents and went to the police station the next morning, gave them the wedding rings, watch, and a stereo that the defendant had installed in the car before the murder. Cawthorn's girlfriend stated to the police that Cawthorn and Patterson had accompanied her to Arby's that Thursday night of 8th of January, 1987. At about 9.30 p.m., she had a sandwich, but they did not eat. Their eyes were dilated, and they weren't saying much. They were laid back. She was sure they didn't, were not drinking because she could smell, not smell anything because she was a part-time bartender. That explains everything. She expressed the opinion that they were on acid. She said Cawthorn had told her several days before that that he had 10 hits of acid, and on Wednesday night, he told her that he had been doing acid with these two guys named Pat and Joe, who was on her, she was on her way to report at work at 10 p.m. at the Rock Vegas, the bar, and Rock and the Joe, there you go, a bar and the Rock and the Joe. Defendant rode in the car with her, Cawthorn did, from Arby's to Rock Vegas, and they smoked a joint on the way. Patterson left Arby's driving Cawthorn's Camaro. She also stated that Friday 9, January 9th, Cawthorn called her about noon, picked her up at the home about 1 p.m., and they rode around in the rain. He gave her a watch, a wedding band, and a wedding ring to hold on to for him for a while. She saw him again on Sunday. He was jolly in a good mood and told her again that he was planning on leaving to Chicago, which he had told her before his plans to do that. He had told her a week or more before the Smith's murder that he was going to Chicago. He was always nice and courteous and pleasant with her except that one time. And I couldn't find that one time. I guess they kept it internal. They didn't call the police or nothing about that. So, of course, they arrest O'Ronnie. And Brett for the murders, rape, robbery, and all that. So, they are trying to get them on capital murder, which I'm going to go over really quick. Brett Patterson, and I could not really find nothing. Everything I found so far has been related to Ronnie Cawthorn because he's like the, the asshole subject on this case. Or the, the murder, not with me, with this. So, I couldn't really find nothing. So, I'm assuming he did a plea deal to testify against Ronnie and you know because I later on I will get to his confession what he all said stated what happened but I could not find nothing but I think that he did he ended up getting life without the possibility of parole for the rape murder and all rape murder and robbery and so they're after Ronnie so listen to his confession that he gave him Patterson gave a statement to TBI agent and the investigators right before all this happened in Clarksville Police Department. He said they were originally supposed to be hidden someplace owned by a guy by the name of Charles Hand. The defendant told him that Hand would have like $15,000 in the trunk of his car at, at night and they all had to do was pop the trunk and be, and be gone. Their car was not at Hand's house so they decided that he knew and so Cawthorn decided he, you know, that I can't read <laughs> again. So defendant told Patterson that he knew another place where nobody would be home and they could pick up a couple thousand. So said he was dismissed. Said, oh well, Cawthorn said that he had worked for them 
and knew no one would be home they drove up behind the house got a hammer screwdriver other stuff of the trunk of his car went to the back door he tried to kick the back door open but Cawthorne had to break the glass panel to get in to get it open he said that both had leather gloves and ski masks he checked out the downstairs with a flashlight just looking stuff over seeing what was there when he went upstairs Cawthorne was wrestling with the guy on the bed he thought Cawthorne had already put the woman in the closet of the other bedroom he said that he was armed with a 45 caliber automatic uh, which Cawthorne had a 38 he said all he could think of was what's this guy going to what's this guy going to do get the better he's not going to let the guy get the better of Cawthorne so he jumped in turned him over face down put him in a sleeper hold to put him out Smith was supposed to be out three to five minutes but it did not last that long so he got a pillowcase and tried to put it around his neck but it was working and Cawthorn handed him some twine back to the eight that mystery 880 cord <laughs> what was that was 880 cord and he said use it as a guard all I wanted was to put him out so he we could get the fuck out of there he said he went in the other room Cawthorn said it's your turn so he had sex with the woman in the meantime Cawthorn had stacked up a lot of stuff a couple of bags of purse VCR they loaded it up got out of there he said that that's when he left the bedroom the woman was alive and there was no gag or anything around his, her neck he asked if Cawthorn he asked if Cawthorn if what he, if Cawthorn did it what was, what's up and what did you do with her Patterson responded then Cawthorn said he said he strangled her so that's what he reported it was the Peterson Patterson where he reported happened and then that's when the girlfriend and all that stuff like that so they were not there buying it so that's how he got off of it because of that so they arrested him he's in jail right now but I'm assuming to do you testify against mr. Cawthorn Ronnie Cawthorn am I saying Cawthorn who cares if I'm saying it wrong so while he's in jail waiting his while he's in jail waiting for his hearing Earl Mullins a jailer testified also well actually this is during testimony what's going on but this happened before testimony a jailer testified that he was calling the roll at a jail at the jail around 3 p.m. on 13th of January as he past Cawthorn's cell, Cawthorn asked him to contact officers Griffey or Denton and tell them he wanted to talk to them. Mullins delivered the message and the officers came to the jail around 4 p.m. and gave, gave Cawthorn full neck. While this is going on, every time they talked to him, they made sure to give them a full Miranda rights, Miranda mornings, wherever you want to call it, and had him sign all the paperwork. And so he did that, signed the rights. Just before the warning read to the, the Catherine, he said, Catherine, but this is going to be like a Q&A, but you probably figure it out. He said to Catherine, but I, I'll tell you it is, if I'm going to have to spend five years, I'll rather just die, okay? And later, Catherine, it's me. I mean, I'm going to go crazy up there. I'm going to go crazy there now. The Miranda warnings were read, and the last two statements of the warnings were the following. Cawthorn then said 
that his lawyer had told him that he wasn't supposed to say nothing unless he was there. Does that mean that I can't? Then responded that it was up to him, that he could waive his right to the attorney and talk to him. Denton dead read aloud the contents of the waiver as follows. Denton, it states here, I have read a statement of my rights and understand what my rights are. I'm willing to make statements and answer questions. I do not want a lawyer at this time. Understand and know that I'm doing no promises or threats have been made to me or and no pressure of coercion or any kind have no nothing any kind of business used against me my word can't be used against me and if you, wait no, what the hell did i write down here no pressure coercion of any king has been used against i don't know against me if you want to talk without a lawyer you need to sign this right here on these lines so he did he signed the waiver and taped interview proceeded on page of the 22 of the scramships transcripts of that interview he exposed the first restitution about talking to officers as follows denton are you guilty Catherine, of murder no didn't what are you guilty of not rape and murder and taking anything denton after telling me things would you like to tell me again just exactly this time what exactly happened Catherine? no why then they didn't Catherine because I know I am facing attempting to turn the machine off at the time this is what he'd been trying to because at the time he's been recording he's trying to turn it off then says it, it's got to stay on Catherine no Chuck do you know anything else what was taken out of the house and Catherine's a man's wedding band was taken in pawn in the pawn shop then do you know which one Catherine no how much money did you get? Cawthorne, $20. Their interview continued with Denton asking about items of personal property, taking most of all which had been found by the police in Cawthorne's car and the residence of the defendant and Patterson's defendant. Cawthorne was asked what time they left the house and they went and who saw them. And the defendant answered, Cawthorne answered, that Catherine cut off the tape recorder. Of course, there he goes cutting it off the recorder that he was aware of. That he was aware of. But however, they had a hidden tape recorder that picked up the following. Denton, don't cut that off, Catherine. I know it's over. And I know I can't change it, and that's it. It's my fault. Denton, we can't cut. The, we can't cut this off. I'll throw everything out. Catherine, they can throw it all out. Denton, it's got to stay on. Catherine, no Chuck. Kept calling Chuck. Denton, go ahead. I mean, to Catherine, I can't stop it. There's no way for me to. Then, Ronnie, you planned this thing? No, I didn't. You went to the house then? In the house? Catherine, I didn't plan it, Chuck. I did not plan it. I knocked on the door for her to come downstairs. So he's still trying to think this was consensual. Then, Ronnie, you sat here and lied to me again. You said that you did not take the stuff out. The watch, the ring were brought up back to the office today by the young lady you gave it to. And of course, she's still, I didn't take it. There's a wedding band from him too, somewhere in a pawn shop. Then it was like, which pawn shop? I don't know. The ring was pawned for $20. Do you know anything else that was taken from the house, Catherine? A man's wedding band was taken and pawned in the pawn shop. He's going on that do you know 
Which one? No. How much money did you get from it? $20. Chuck, is that's right. Denton, I know it's not right. Ronnie, I know it's not right. I can't tell by looking in your beady little eyes that you're telling you're not telling the truth and we're wasting our time. Denton, what are you doing for that? What are you doing for that? <laughs> Rewinding it though. Yep. I need to put out there I'm not gonna read this no more he just kept rambling on and on and on but this is I wanted to put that in to give you kind of a the mentality of this guy I don't know if he was going through withdrawals or what but yeah and even testimonies from his roommate you know comparing saying that everything that he's done about going in there so all evidence is facing they got his DNA in the house he got people know his name there everything so much of it he said that he didn't even with the testimony of his cohort who told said that he was the responsible for the murder of the two of course he is found guilty of capital murder and sentencing the judge says you be gone with you sir death penalty yep the death penalty and of course as you know as soon as the death penalty his peels start coming in left and right a lot of them have to do I'm not good there's all kinds of appeals there's so much appeals records on this that we could be hours long I'm not gonna go through all that but basically all his appeals led to that he wasn't read the Miranda rights that he wasn't you know proper counsel so proper counsel while being questioned and that also it was not fair that they're going to death penalty over him but not his partner. But through that all day, that's another reason why I wanted to try to read the, but it was just getting in nonsense, a lot of repetitive shit. I don't even know why I put y'all through that mess. But anyhow, like I say on my podcast, every episode, I'm a truck driver, work 14 hours, and you get what you get. If you don't like it, you can get. But back to the case, enough of that. But like I said, a lot of it was just pretty much the same crazy shit. So all his appeals went unanswered, you know, denied, denied, denied. He was not right to legal counsel. So there he is on death row. Like I said, Patterson, his accomplice, got life in prison without the parole. So there's where he sits. So, another, like I said, so they try to do that and make mitigating answer. Because another thing they try to say that they, the judge did not let the jury hear any kind of mitigating evidence so the mitigating evidence is to follow the applicant claims that trial judge should have instructed the jury it consider a mitigating factors the fact that the applicants code the defendant received a life sentence and that the applicant has been a role model prisoner and has helped others inside and outside the prison the state argues that neither the state nor federal constitution requires the judge to instruct the jury for non-structurary mitigating circumstances. So, the trial judge instructed the jury concerning the following stationary mitigating circumstances. The applicant has no significant criminal history. The murder was committed while the applicant was under the influence of extreme mental or emotional disturbance. Three, the youth of the applicant at the time of the crime. So he was a young guy. The capability of the the capacity of the applicant to appreciate the ruling wrongfulness of his conduct or to confirm his conduct to the requirements of the law, 
was substantial impaired as a sub, 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 uh, result of mental disease or defect or intoxication, which was insufficient to establish a defense as a matter of law, which sub, I'm not going to read that. Anyhow, the applicant was a young man. The applicant was has a minor child. The applicant is married. So all kinds of nonsense for a lot of people do. Oh. Well, this podcast has quickly turned into a train wreck. <laughs> Hopefully next week will be better. If you got this far, thank you. But anyhow, there you go. That's the story of that. And how he's on death row. But wait. There we have a little issue. He was on death row. So if you look him up and find out he's not on death row. Let me tell you why. Death sentence reversed due to prosecutional misconduct. So there's a bunch of cases that they overturned because of that. So with our person here. Tennessee prosecutors made improper remarks. And pretty much they considered him, they kept calling him the devil, they kept calling him Satan, talking about the Lord's Prayer and different things like that. So, because of that, for some reason, that was not allowed in court, but it was not stopped during the hearing was. But either they did did a retrial trial, and they did two retrials. The first retrial came up with the same thing, but they found, you know, wrong, you know, they had issues with that second trial as well and on the third trial they finally convict him down to life in prison with no parole so there you go there's a story of the smith's two army soldiers or not soldiers officers nurses who got murdered by this guy because they thought that he had some money i guess because of the expensive car that he had in his garage or he was working out that they might have money because i know a lot of people who's especially in the army, living off that pay, base pay, or they never said if they were deploying, where deployment money is pretty good. A lot of people, a lot of soldiers go over deployment to Iraq and come back and buy brand new cars. Does not mean they have a lot of money. It just means that they're putting all their money in this car. And because of this, it reminds me of a case of the Manson family did the same thing. This is one thing that while I'm researching this case, I kept thinking of that the Manson family. So this Gary Hyman, the Manson family murdered musician Gary Hinman in his canyon home in late July 1966. Hinman was a friend of the Mansons, but he was tortured for two days before being stabbed to death while the family was trying to get him to officially join them and turn over his assets. The phrase political piggy was scrolled on his wall at the murder scene. So they're trying to get him involved in the Manson cult. Also, try to get the money they thought he had. Well, there you go. There's my episode, train wreck of episode, but I want to put one out this week. But there's just so much information. I didn't know what to put on, what to not to put on to add. But basically, I guess I could have put it short in a five-minute episode. These guys worked for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, thought they had money, went and killed and raped them, got busted because they're idiots. And one got life in prison, one got death penalty, got overturned because misconduct of the, the prosecution, and got turned into life without parole. So both of them sitting down in Tennessee for the rest of life and never get out.
so if you like that I don't know why but next week will be better I promise it's been a while what happened was I had all my notes planned for a second person to join me but I come to the fact that I am not going to have a co-host it's just going to be me my first co-host on my first episode bailed on me with no explanations besides it was too you know it was too much maintenance to talk to me for uh, one hour a week and then my last co-host I knew that one was not going to work out she had too much on her plate and I guess with her podcast and another one she started doing and also I guess she found grass was greener on the other side and now she's a co-host on someone else's podcast so oh well so my notes was designed for two people not one so that's why if I muffled through it chopped up through it and was a train wreck I apologize next Tuesday I'm gonna start putting them out on Tuesdays it'll be a lot better more oriented more togetherness and hopefully better and please give me a second try and if you do like I said always go to iTunes rate review and subscribe and please don't give me one star if you don't give me five stars please don't send matter of fact just message me at truck stop murder and tell me what you think or directly to me Gary Howard and like I said you can join my Facebook group at truck stop murder and sure kind podcast truck murder on Instagram and Twitter if you want to email me any suggestions or anything like that or maybe if you could dedicate an hour a week talking to me through zoom maybe we'll see i'm i'm always look i'll try i might try again we'll see maybe some runs some guests definitely be a better show i believe but that's at truckstopmurder at gmail.com and i do have a patreon at truckstopmurder and if you don't want to subscribe on patreon like a monthly but like it's a one dollar one dollar a month you get a shout out on the show five dollars i'm trying to put some bonus episode up i'm thinking and then it's all stated on there. Or if you don't want to do that, like I said, you can PayPal me at truckstopmurder and gmail.com. Throw me a few bucks and maybe try to better this episode, better my research platforms and whatnot. So thank you for listening. And as I always say, you can't fix stupid, but you can sure numb it with a 2x4. Sergeant Awesome out. <laughs>